Well, welcome to Epic. My name is Jake Snowden. I'm one of the executive leads here at Epic. And thank you so much for worshiping with us today in person. And for those of uh, you who are joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping with us today, uh, wherever you are. Well, today we are in week seven of our Imagine series. And as we're going through the series Imagine, just want to ask this question. Can you imagine what it would look like to see 1,500 people come to know Jesus? Can you imagine what it would look like for a thousand people to take a next step in their faith journey? Well, those are just two of the things that we are dreaming for and hoping for as we kind of prepare for what God wants to do in the life of our church. And so thank you for being with us today. And today we're going to be talking about baptism. And next week, we are going to be having our final beach baptism of 2023. And so if you have given your life to to Christ and you've never taken that step of baptism, highly encourage you uh, to join us next week. You can sign up. There's a QR code on your seat. You can also sign up online. You can visit the lobby and sign up uh, on a sheet out there. So we'd love to make sure that if you've never been baptized, you can do that next week. And for those of you who've been baptized, you can still come next week. We're going to get there at 4 o'clock and we'll be there till 6 o'clock. We'll be at Bay Drive Park. It's just a little bit north on A1A. And at 4 o'clock, we're going to have hot dogs and some ice cream treats for the whole family. You can play in the water. There's some big sand dunes there right now you can play on. And then around 5 o'clock, we're going to begin our beach baptism. So we'd love to see all of you there next week. And let me just say, uh, it is just so awesome when, when someone comes up out of the water after making that decision and they just see their entire church family clapping and applauding and cheering them on. There's just something special in that moment. So looking forward to celebrating in baptism with you guys all next week. Now, baptism and salvation, why don't I just put this statement out there at the beginning. They are actually two very separate things. Baptism, it does not save you, but baptism, it just simply reveals something about you. It reveals that you have a new identity in Christ. Now, have you ever had some exciting news to reveal? Maybe when you and your spouse were getting ready to announce the the gender of your baby, you know, the doctor gives you that information. And sometimes you let that information out right away. Sometimes you hold on to it for a little bit. But what's been real popular over the last few years are these gender reveals. Has anybody ever done a gender reveal with one of their babies? Or you've seen them online? I see some hands going up. Yeah, and they're they're pretty fun. There's this one gender reveal that I saw that I thought was just hilarious. So this couple, they gathered all their friends and family around, and they had this big cake. And so the husband's cutting the cake, and the color of the cake was going to reveal whether the baby was a boy or girl. So he cuts the cake, and to his surprise, it's white. And he was expecting to see blue or pink, right? So while his face is there looking confused, meanwhile, his wife had a cupcake off to the side. She takes this cupcake, smashes it on his face, and there's pieces of blue cake all over his face. It it was pretty funny. But sometimes we do something fun when we want to reveal a big announcement, uh, don't we? And so today we're going to be looking at a pretty big reveal that took place during the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, the baptism of Jesus was a very significant event. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, his identity and his authority was revealed by God the Father to all who were gathered at the Jordan River. And it's the same for us today. When you make the decision on your own to get baptized, your baptism reveals something about your identity as well. Your baptism reveals that you are now identified with Christ. Your baptism reveals that you have gone from death to life. In Romans 6.4, it says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. 
So today, as we look at baptism and look at what baptism reveals about ourselves, I want you to ask yourself this question. What did your baptism reveal about you? What does your baptism reveal about your identity? And if you've never been baptized before, then maybe today God's going to speak to you through this message, and maybe the Holy Spirit will put it upon your heart to consider getting baptized next Sunday uh, with our final beach baptism of 2023. Now, let me ask you, has your identity ever been in question? That's, that's why you carry a, a driver's license, or when you travel, that's why you carry your passport, right? So you can prove your identity. When you're checking into a hotel, they want to see your driver's license. When you're getting on a plane or boarding a cruise ship, you take your passport with you so you can prove that, that you are who you say that you are. And so I would assume that the majority of us carry around some sort of government-issued ID so we can prove our identity. Now, what about your authority? Has your authority ever been questioned? If you're a teacher, I'm sure your authority has been questioned by your students. If you serve in our kids' ministry, I'm sure your authority has been questioned at times. Have you ever had a, a kid look up to you and say, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. And they're questioning your authority in that moment, right? In Mark chapter 11, Jesus's authority was in question. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, the elders, they're all questioning Jesus. And they asked him this. They said, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right to do them? So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter one. We're gonna start in Mark one today. And if you don't have a Bible, we do have some Bibles for you. They're located at the back of each seating section. Feel free to get up and go and get one. You can even write your name in it. You can make notes on it. And that is our gift uh, to you. Now the book of Mark is the second book in the New Testament. The New Testament begins with four gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are four different eyewitness accounts concerning the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, they're, they're very similar Gospels. They both provide an in-depth look at the birth of Jesus, including genealogies going all the way back to Abraham in the Gospel of Matthew and going all the way back to Adam in, in the Gospel of Luke. And what these genealogies do is they help us place Jesus in history, and they also help confirm the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David from the line of Abraham. Now, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John goes back even farther, placing Jesus at creation. The Gospel of Mark, however, starts out very different than the other Gospels. Mark doesn't even include anything to do with Jesus' birth. You see, the Gospel of Mark was written with the Roman audience in mind. And do you think the Romans really had any concern with David or Matthew? No, they had their own dynasty they were concerned about. They didn't care anything about Jesus as the Messiah. And so Mark, rather than going back and trying to trace Jesus's identity and his authority through genealogy, Mark jumps into the story with Jesus as a 30-year-old man who's just about to begin his earthly ministry. So Mark introduces us to a 30-year-old Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. Now, the gospel of Mark was the first gospel of the four gospels, written right around 66 to 70 AD. The other gospels came about 15, 20, 25 years after that. And the gospel of Mark, it's kind of like an action movie. 
So if you like action movies, this is a great gospel for you to read. It's only 16 chapters. You could read it in probably 30 to 40 minutes. I encourage you to read that this week if you're looking for, for a nice action gospel about Jesus. Um, and so Mark, he jumps in right into the action. And while Matthew and Luke and John focus a lot on Jesus' uh, teaching, Mark doesn't focus so much on the teaching. He's looking more at the miracles that Jesus is doing. And he sees using those miracles as a way to prove Jesus' authority and his identity. Now, everything in the, in the Gospel of Mark is imminent. He uses the word immediately 42 times throughout the Gospel and 11 times in the first chapter alone. I like to think of Mark as the Twitter of the Gospels. He says everything that you need to know about Jesus in as few words as possible. And so as you read the Gospel of Mark, this thing will become very clear to you that the author is trying to portray one thing. He's trying to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. He even bookends his gospel with that from the very first verse, and then you'll see it again at the very end of the gospel. So let's begin reading Mark 1, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right there. Gets it right out of the gates. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is the voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. In verse 4, this messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the river Jordan. You know, as a pastor, some of my favorite moments throughout the year are when I have the honor to, uh, to baptize someone who's decided to make a public profession of their faith as a Christ follower. You know, over the years, I've bat people in many different places. I've baptized them in swimming pools, uh, baptized them in backyard swimming pools, public swimming pools, baptized people even in a hot tub once, uh, baptized people in the ocean, in rivers, lakes, all over the place, and I love it. Now, one of the great things about living here in Florida is that we have the opportunity to do beach baptisms, which we're going to do next week. And my boys were baptized just a little over an hour north from here in Jacksonville Beach uh, just a few years ago. There they are, a little bit, little bit younger there. And when I lived on the West Coast, one of my favorite places to baptize people was in the Grand Canyon. We had this great location just above Havasu Falls. And uh, this place here we called Eden as you can see from the picture why we called it Eden. Um, it's actually called Navajo Falls, but we would baptize right about here. And uh, every year I would take a group of, of families out there, uh, middle school students and, and their parents, and it would, we would cap off the week with baptisms. And when my daughter was in fifth grade, she went on that trip and she was baptized uh, right here in the Grand Canyon, which made it uh, a very memorable moment for, for her and for, for me as a dad as well. Now, over the years... I find myself saying a very similar statement when I baptize somebody. I, I say something along the lines of, of like, buried with Christ in baptism, and then I bring them up and I say, and raised to walk a brand new life. Raised to walk a brand new life. Now, when I read in the Gospels about Jesus being baptized, I often wonder, well, what did John say? 
Because I'm saying buried with Christ in baptism. Jesus had not yet been revealed, but John's out there baptizing people. So what was he saying to these people as they're getting baptized? And also, what did he say when he baptized Jesus? And so these are just some things that, that go through my mind here. Uh, but as you'll see, here we saw in, in Mark 1, 4, it's going to tell us why he was baptizing. It says people should be baptized to show or to reveal that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, now one thing to keep in mind is baptism, baptism is just a symbol. It's an outward expression of an inward decision. There's nothing special about the water. There's nothing special, special about the person who's baptizing you. It's all about the inward decision of repentance and putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Baptism is revealing that you have a new identity in Christ. Because of your sin, you were once considered dead. But now because of Christ, you instantly go from death to life. Buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk a brand new life. So what does it mean to repent? Well, in Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word for repent is shuv. It occurs 1,058 times in the Old Testament. And it means simply this. It simply means to turn. It simply means to turn. It means to literally do a 180, to change direction. Or it can be used as a metaphor for a radical life change in, in your behavior. A radical change in lifestyle and in behavior. So here we have John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness. People are flocking to him all over to get baptized. These people are going in and out of the water, one after another, doing a complete 180 in their lifestyle. It reminds me of the story in the Gospel of John where Jesus encounters the woman who's caught in adultery. And he embraces her. He brings her in when others want to condemn her. He wraps his arm around her. And then he, when he sends her on her way, he sends her with a command. He says to go and sin no more. So the same Jesus who shows us love, who shows us compassion, who shows us mercy, but then he wants us to go and sin no more, to change your lifestyle and to follow him. Now, I want to ask this question for you. If I was to ask across the room and for those watching online, if you've been baptized, go ahead and raise your hand. I'm sure we'd have hands go up. Yeah, look, hands up all over the room. You've been baptized. You've done that, that, that outward symbol reflecting that inward decision. But when I ask you, have you repented? Have you actually turned from your sin? Is there a radical change that is taken in your place, in your lifestyle, in your behavior, because Jesus is the Lord of your life? So we're going to pick it up here in verse, chapter, or in verse 6 of chapter 1. And here it's going to describe the physical appearance of John the Baptist. Now, if you're following along in the New Living Translation, then the version I'm going to read from here might sound just a little bit different. I'm going to read this verse uh, from the 1995 DC Talk version. Anybody remember the Christian rap band DC Talk? Okay, there's, there's some hands going up across the room. Well, in the mid-90s, they had this album, Jesus Freak, and this song, Jesus Freak in particular, was a song about John the Baptist. And so I'm going to read from that version and listen to how it describes John the Baptist. It says, there was a man from the desert with naps in his head. The sand that he walked was also his bed. The words that he spoke made the people assume there wasn't too much left in the upper room. With skins on his back and hair on his face, they thought he was strange by the locusts he ate. You see, the Pharisees tripped when they heard him speak until the king took the head of this Jesus freak. Who remembers that song? 
All right, yeah, a lot of you guys, especially if you've been in student ministry, serving as leaders, I'm sure you've heard that song. And so, uh, you know, being a child of the 90s, I, I absolutely loved that song. And now the DC Talk version might take a little bit of liberty in how they're describing John the Baptist. Here in verse 6, it's simply going to tell us that his clothes were woven from camel hair and he ate locusts and wild honey. So a little bit shorter version here in the Gospel of Mark. Either way, John the Baptist was a little bit different. He was definitely a little bit off the grid, but yet people are flocking out to see him, to hear his message of repentance. So let's keep reading here in verse 7. In verse 7, it says, John announced this. He said, someone is coming who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Now imagine yourself for a moment being there that day, being on the banks of the Jordan River and seeing the same thing happen over and over. Someone goes in the water, John baptizes them, they come out of the water, they get out of the water. And the next person, same thing, over and over. And then all of a sudden, this man named Jesus, and remember, this is before his earthly ministry began. Jesus doesn't have the crowds following. He's not doing miracles yet at this point. But this man, Jesus, when he gets in the water, something different happens. Instantly, the heavens open up. Anyone ever seen the heavens open up? I'm not surprised that I don't see a bunch of hands going up, right? So this man gets baptized. He comes out of the water. The heavens open up. A dove comes and descends and lands on him. And wait, it gets even better. Then a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. Imagine being an eyewitness of that account. In verse 11, a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. I mean, talk about a big reveal. I've seen some creative ways that people reveal a big announcement, but the heavens opening up, a dove coming down, a voice from heaven. I mean, this is a big deal. You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, one of my favorite things to do with the Gospels is to cross-reference them with each other. And if, if you cross-reference Mark 1 with John chapter 1, you'll see that John the Baptist, who was actually Jesus' cousin, he didn't even know that Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't even know that Jesus was the Messiah up until this big reveal. In John 1, verse 29, it says this. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus, his cousin, coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I had been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. The reason that John was baptizing was so that the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And John the Baptist, he was a prophet who was highly regarded by all the people. He testifies to these events and confirms that Jesus has been revealed as the Messiah. 
So, so here we have a revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, and we have eyewitness confirmation, not only from all the crowds who were in attendance, but from John, who is considered to be a prophet. He has eyewitness confirmation of what happened that day. Now, when you cross-references with some of the other Gospels, let's take a quick look here at Matthew chapter 3. Matthew records a little bit of the dialogue that took place between John and Jesus. In Matthew 3, 13 and 14, it says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But, when John tried, but then John tried to talk him out of it. John said, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? Now, I can, I can see where there's, this would be confusing for John. Remember, John was preaching a baptism of repentance. Now, Jesus, as we know, Jesus had never sinned. So what did Jesus need to repent from? But Jesus is coming to John to be baptized. You know, Scripture tells us in 1 John 3, 5, that there was no sin in him. And again, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So John's trying to talk Jesus out of, out of letting him baptize him. And then in Matthew 3.15, Jesus insists. Jesus replies, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now, as I already mentioned earlier, baptism is symbolic. And this is really important here to catch. So in this moment, Jesus, what does he do? Jesus symbolically identifies himself with sinners. Those who were getting baptized were sinners who needed to be washed and made clean. But Jesus identifies himself with us as a sinner, symbolically taking our place and washing away the sins of the world for which he would soon pay for in full at Calvary. And this symbolic identification is so important because just as Jesus symbolically identifies with us to be the offering of our sin, when we get baptized, we symbolically identify with Jesus and his righteousness. We have a new identity in Christ our new identity doesn't come through baptism. That comes through salvation. But when we get baptized, our new identity is revealed to those around us. So in verse 16, Jesus comes up out of the water. The very moment this, that this revelation of identity takes place, a voice comes down from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, in this moment, in addition to all the eyewitnesses, from, and including the eyewitness from John the Baptist and the crowds, there's also two more confirmations that take place revealing Jesus as the Messiah. There's the audible confirmation, God the Father saying, this is my son. And then there's the visible confirmation with the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. So here in this moment at Jesus' baptism, there's three obvious prominent persons at this exact moment. We have Jesus standing in the Jordan River, the Holy Spirit, the form of a dove, and then the audible voice of God. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the triune God. It started out today's message by talking about the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and they were questioning the identity and the authority of Jesus. Verse, Mark 11, verse 28 says, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do this? Check out Jesus' answer here in Mark eleven twenty-eight 
29. He says, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. If you just answer me this one question, did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. So they talk it over amongst themselves and they say, if we say it's from heaven, then he'll ask, why didn't you believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, you know, Jesus, we don't know. Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is basically saying, if the confirmation from John the Baptist, if the confirmation from God in heaven, if the confirmation from the Holy Spirit descending like a dove is not enough, then there is nothing else I can do to make you believe. And so who is Jesus? Well, at his baptism, Jesus is revealed as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, God, God could have revealed Jesus' identity as the Messiah at any point, but God chose to reveal his identity through baptism. And so now that we know who Jesus is, let me ask you, who are you? For those of you who have made that choice on your own to, be, to repent and to be baptized, what did your baptism reveal about you? What does your baptism reveal about your identity? Remember, your baptism doesn't save you. When you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, when you believe in him and put your faith and put your trust in him, that is what saves you. That is the confession that saves you. But when you are baptized, it reveals something to the eyewitnesses who are there at your baptism. It reveals to those around you that you are now identified in Christ, that his righteousness has given you a brand new life, a brand new identity in Christ, and that you have gone from death to life. Amen? Romans 6, 4 to 6 says this, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Isn't that amazing? No longer slaves to sin. We have a new identity in Christ. And water baptism, it's simply an outward action of an inward decision. Baptism is for people who have grasped the gospel, who have repented of their sins, and who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. You know, I've talked with many people over the years, and, and they've said to me, you know, I was, I was baptized as an infant, so therefore I don't need to get baptized as an adult. And so I, I simply reply with this question. I say, when you got baptized as, as an infant, was that a decision that you made or was that a decision that someone else made for you? Because if, if baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision, then at what point as an infant did you realize that you had the need for a savior? At what point as an infant did you say, I've been living this life of sin and I now need to follow Jesus? Now, there, there's nothing wrong with, with getting baptized as an infant. Um, and and some, some denominations will, pref will prefer to call that more is getting you know, confirmed or being dedicated. 
But at some point, when did you make that decision on your own to say, I choose to repent. I choose to be identified with Jesus. Now, I want to show you a, a, video, te- a video testimony of someone from our church who I had that very conversation with. They, they uh, were baptized as an infant, but then later they realized that's a decision that I would like to make on my own. So check out this video of Eric Robbins. So at 18 years old, I left home. Life for me was all about me at that point, and I was very uh, all about myself, and I didn't care about anybody but myself. I had a, I had a girlfriend, and I had my first daughter at 18. I was a hard worker. I, w- I showed up at work every day, but I'd love to party, and at night, You know, that's what it was. I was the first to arrive at the party and I was the last to leave the party. Eventually I realized that that was killing most of my relationship. That was a period in my life where things began to turn really bad and drugs and alcohol were taking over my personality. So one night I found myself in my bedroom and it was uh, three days of nonstop partying, drugs and alcohol and I was thinking there was only one way out at that point. And I was uh, devising a plan to end it, and um, God spoke to me at that moment. And what God said to me was, who are you to kill yourself? I dropped to my knees in my bedroom and I looked up at the ceiling and I said, if this is you and I'm not crazy hearing voices, you need to take my life over. I fell asleep and I woke up A couple of days later, I felt refreshed, but I felt compelled that I had to change my situation. I had to get out of there. I had to run. And I found myself in a pickup truck. I I had two bags of clothes in my pickup truck, and I got to 95, and I went uh, south. And I ran out of gas in Ormond Beach, Florida. And I had a brother living in Florida at the time who introduced me to uh, a church in Ormond Beach. I attended that church for 19 years. I was the drummer in the worship band. Uh, and And I learned a lot. I learned how to pray. I learned that relationship with God. And after a while, it became that I was just going to church to play with my music friends. And I wasn't getting fed in the church anymore. My wife was going to Epic at the time. Uh, She had been attending for a year, and all she kept asking me to do was visit. So eventually, uh, it came to the point where I had to give Epic a try. So I went back the next week, and the next week, and the next week, and soon I realized that I had switched churches, and I went from an Episcopal church to a church for people who don't do church, and that was fine with me. Baptism came up. Uh, My wife got baptized about two years ago at the park, and said that I should do it. But my attitude was, look, uh, I've been baptized. I've been baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. Jake pointed out to me that in the Bible, it says that you're to give yourself freely to the Lord. And in that moment, I said, you know what, Jake? You're absolutely right. You're correct. I, I, I need to do it. Sign me up. And one of the best decisions that I made I love that story, and I know that there are so many other stories in this room and stories for those of you who are watching online that are similar to that, where you literally have gone from death to life. And, you know, Eric is sharing a moment there where he's at his, 
at his low and he's even thinking about taking his own physical life. And then it's revealed to him that who are you to take away that life? And God restores him in that moment and then he decides to identify with Christ through baptism. I just think that's a beautiful story. And so as a Christ follower, I wanna challenge you, if you've never made that decision on your own, then what's holding you back? Make that decision on your own and I encourage you to get baptized with us next week. Now when you choose to get baptized, what you're really doing is you're revealing to others an outward, outward expression of an inward decision that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Letting others know that your identity has changed. You identify with Christ and you've gone from death to life. Maybe there's some of you in here today, or some of you who are watching online, and you're thinking, I I'm not so sure that I have identified myself with Christ. Maybe you've never even asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. If you've never done that, in just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today for the very first time. And so I'm going to say two prayers in just a few minutes. And the first prayer is going to be for those of you who are making that decision for the first time where you're realizing that I want to go from death to life. And maybe, maybe you're realizing that from, from hearing something in the message or from hearing Eric's story where you're like, man, I feel like that, that's about me. I'm living my life for me. I'm not living my life the way I need to. And you're saying, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want to give him control over my life. And so in just a moment, if you want to say that prayer for the first time and invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I'm going to give you that opportunity. And then maybe there's some of you in here, and you may have made a decision like that at some point in your life, but you're saying, you know what? I'm not really living the way that Jesus wants me to live. Maybe I gave my life to Christ once. Maybe I was even baptized once before. But I'm not living the way I need to live. And maybe you want to make a rededication and say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I want you to be the king, the Lord of my life. So what I have you do is all across the room, if you can just bow your head and close your eyes. And this first prayer, this is for those of you who want to make that decision today for the very first time. Say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. If that's you, please repeat this prayer after me. You can say it in the quietness of your heart. You can just say it in a quiet whisper. And God truly knows if you believe it. And so let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. Thank you for leaving heaven coming to earth to die in my place so that I may be identified with you. I invite you, Jesus, come into my life today. Wipe away all of my sins. Make me clean and brand new. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, that I have a place in eternity with you. And so if you said that prayer for the first time with every eye closed and every head bowed, just go ahead and lift up your hand. Let me know. Say, Jake, I prayed that prayer today. And we can pray for you throughout this week. I see some hands going up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else?
saying, I prayed that prayer. Thank you. I see that hand. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put your hands down. And now for those of you who would like to make a rededication, say, Jesus, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you today. Just repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. I know that I need you to be the Lord of my life. I rededicate my life to you today. Thank you for bringing me back into your family. Thank you for calling me a son, a daughter of the king. I give you my life today, Jesus. If you said that prayer and you rededicated your life to Christ today, once again, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, just raise your hand nice and high so I can see you. And hands up all across the room. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else like to rededicate their life to Jesus? Thank you. You can put your hands down. So, Father, we come before you. God, we're born into a life of sin. God, and it is only through the sacrifice that you paid for us, God, that we can have brand new life. And so we thank you for that today, Lord. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, there were hands up all over the room with both of those prayers. So let's just celebrate right now for those who have gone from death to life. Amen. And so for some of you who made that decision today, maybe you want to follow that up with the next step of baptism. We'd love to baptize you next Sunday. And so you can sign up using that QR code on your seat. I'm going to be at the Connection Center after the service. You can come and talk to me and sign up there. And for those of you who said that prayer for the first time, I have a book that I want to give to you today. So please come and find me after the service. It's just a book that's going to help you take those next steps in making Jesus the Lord of your life. But here's one thing to know for sure. If you said that prayer today or at another point in your life, then your spot is secure in heaven. You have a place in heaven because you've made that confession. Amen? Amen. So next week is Celebration Sunday. We'll be wrapping up our Imagine series. And one of the things that we're so excited about with our Imagine campaign is is simply what we just saw here this morning. Imagine hundreds, imagine thousands of people giving their life to Jesus going from death to life. And that's what we get to do as the church. We get to help find people in our community who need to hear that message, who need to hear that truth. We get to help people take their next step in their faith journey. And so right now we're gonna close in a time of response. And so all across the room, let's just stand together and I encourage you to sing along with us as we declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's stand and sing together.